This is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. And we're back in the locker room. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting just watching the ninjas at work. There's a lot of, like, button pushing and stuff like that going on. I don't think I would be very good on the other side of this microphone, Max. It, it just doesn't. It's not good. Too many buttons. Listen, listen, listen. It's all good. You just mash buttons <laughs> until you can't mash anymore, and you, and you pray good things happen. You know, somehow I think uh, you're you're on the right side of the microphone too. <laughs> listen, all I have to deal with is a zoom and a, and a mute button. That's it. That's it. And put the headset on and hit the button uh, to connect. That's it. I'm good. All right, we have the coach. He's here. All right, Coach Tom Bradley is in the house. Coach, you're in the locker room with us. We are so happy to have you here, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great, Wolf. You know, I bumped into a uh, a friend of mine who's a priest. Okay. And uh, we were talking, and, and he said, I enjoyed the show. I listened to you guys. And I said, what do you think about Wolf talking about clutching and holding? I said, is he, is he fibbing? I mean, doesn't he have to confess that? <laughs> And he, and he said, he told me, absolutely not. And I said, why is that? He said, because you forgot I used to play offensive line in high school. <laughs> there we go. There's a wise man right there. <laughs> he there agreed we with go, you. Father. Well, if I couldn't believe it, he actually agreed with you. He killed me. <laughs> I love it. That's what you deserve. All right, just trying to trying to uh, upbraid our, our, the offensive lineman for having a little. So we get a little bit of clutchification there. We get a little bit of grabifying. You know, I mean that sort of stuff. It, it goes on. Let's all be friends about it, shall we? <laughs> uh, Coach, both hey. sides of the ball does it. Both sides yeah. of the ball does it. We never do it on defense. You guys know that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why they invented the. Five-yard rule. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Coach, one of the things I got to ask is you take a look at a guy like Justin Fields, and, you know, his, his accuracy has been, you know, a little suspect over the course of the, the time he's been playing, but he ups it all of a sudden in his last game. He was very productive, and it really looks like one of those situations where the young man's getting over, like, the – the, the bumps and travails of, of being a rookie and starting to be more decisive in his thought process when you watch him out on the field. Yeah, he sure does. But he can take another week to figure that out, okay? Yeah. Right <laughs> Good point. Next Tuesday. I hope he catches it on about next Tuesday how it works out. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's still a rookie. He's going to see some things. You know, they're, they're that offense, I believe they're ranked last in the NFL right now. And, uh, you know, going against the Steelers defense isn't going to be an easy task on Monday night, especially, you know, on Nines Field. No, it absolutely isn't going, it isn't going to be easy. Um, Coach, you know, when you look at just kind of, you know, what the overarching theme is, the offense for the Bears is getting better, but the defense is kind of regressing. You know, you don't have Khalil Mack out there. They're not applying the pressure like they have been. I mean, when you look at this Bears squad, I mean, has there been anything that stuck out to you as far as kind of what they're struggling with? Is it just an identity thing, or, or what have you seen so far from this Bears defense? You know, Max, I think you're right on. It is an identity thing. I'm not sure they know who they are or what they want to be right now. I'm just watching them a little bit on tape. 
uh, as you look at them, I, I see them as you know what what is their identity? What do they want it to be? How far do they want to they want Justin to go? Do you know what I mean? Defensively, yeah. you're right; their numbers are, are down. I think they're what 18th in the league now, or something like that. I mean, so their numbers are are, are you know their arrows pointing down there, and on offense, uh, you know they're they're struggling. There's no question about it. I mean, you look at him offensively. Uh, Justin Fields, um, you know, he, he's he been sacked 26 times. I mean, that's a guy that is very elusive. I mean, he's got great speed. We saw him in the last game uh, have a nice touchdown run off of a, a read option or a rollout. I can't remember which it was. But the fact is he reversed his field. I mean, he's got a lot of talent in that area. But, um, you know, that sort of stuff – how do you how do you like try to keep an eye on him without having to specifically go to a spy? Well, I, you know, I, we talk about sometimes Wolf on defense lanes just aren't for cars, okay? So everybody <laughs> you know, has to keep that guy, you know, on his shoulder and know exactly where he is. And and uh, and before I forget, one of your old compadres did a show with Les last night. And he said to say hello, Matt Millen. Oh so yes, he had Matt. Oh yeah. And oh. I asked him about your holding or clutching too. That's another story. <laughs> we'll that. Yeah, save that one for later. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry to digress, but that's what happens on this show, Max. We sometimes we we go off on different ways. Well, and that's what that's what that's why this show is aptly titled "In the Locker Room" because that's a locker room <laughs> conversation right there. <laughs> you can go from talking about world peace to reality TV. That's <laughs> correct. Yeah, that is correct. That is Tom. When you look at it, and you got a Justin Fields. I mean, the thing about it is, this guy is 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 a, his ability to run. He just rushed for over 100 yards last week. Um, and the first guy, I think, first Bears quarterback to do it since Bobby Douglas, the great Bobby Douglas back in the day. Boy, is that dating us, all right? But you take a look at, at this guy. What what do you tell your defensive line when you're you, when you're rushing? I mean, are you thinking about twists? You got to know where he is. You got to respect where he is. You know, you just can't go. You know, he's not one of those guys that you can put the X in the backfield, and that's where you got to get to. He can go anywhere. And you have to be disciplined on those rush lanes, or, or it's going to hurt you. And you cannot let him extend the play. You know, got to keep him in the pocket. Make sure he's not getting out of there. Uh, if he does get out of there, that you you're exactly know where he's going to be, and everybody's you know plastering the receiver. It's not just a rush too downfield. You know, those guys in the secondary are going to have to learn how to plaster some receivers too. Well, I, I think I think yeah, that that's going to be a tough one. I mean, you look at. Um, the amount and frequency they're trying to be, obviously, with any rookie quarterback, a run first, pass second type of team. I mean, you look at just the distribution of uh, of carries. They want to do balance. And you've lost, like, David Montgomery. You've lost Tariq Cohen. And now Khalil Herbert, is, is, you know, is the next man up. Um, you know, if you're going to pick something to take away from them first, I mean, what is it? Is 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 it making sure you you stop that rush, or and make the rookie have to beat it through the air? I mean, what's the general philosophy um, when you approach not only the Bears but just a rookie quarterback in general? Yeah, stop the run. Don't let him rely on the run. Don't give him that in his toolbox. You know, and make him throw it. Get him into the longer yardage. Get him into down and distance where he's not comfortable. You know, keep him out of the third and shorts. You know, make him throw thirds and longs. Put him in that most of the day. And that's where you can do a lot of your damage because that's when the Pittsburgh Steelers can give him some looks at, 
that he just hasn't seen yet. You know, and, and Coach Butler and Coach Tomlin are going to be able to devise some things that, uh, and, and Coach Austin are going to look at him and say, hey, we, you know, this is some things he hasn't seen yet, and we can, you know, confuse him. You know, with his ability to run, Tom, and the fact that they move him around, they they vary his launch points. You know, they got the rollout, reverse yeah, rollout. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and the kids is the kid is really he's he's such a marvelous athlete. I just saw him throw one time on a reverse rollout, and one of those things where you're throwing across your body. You know, I mean, it was very difficult, and he threw a perfect strike. And I look at it, I'm going, how much does that cause you to not want to go man coverage? Because when he rolls out. And he sees man coverage. He just keeps running. You know what I mean? He just, boom, all of a sudden he's off and going. Um, how much is it as a defensive coordinator, when you think about it, uh, does that, like, make you pull back and say, no, I'm not going to go that much man coverage or what? No, I don't think it will at all. I think you'll just make sure your guys up front are going to be disciplined and keep them on your inside shoulder when he does roll out. They're not going to change that much for him. I, I think that they'll – make sure that everybody's aware that this is a guy that we've got to know where he is and keep him where he is, okay? We cannot just, you know, sometimes on those pass rushes, and you guys know you both played offensive line in the NFL, guys just are, you know, when the, when the quarterback's like a statue back there, it's easy. But this guy, you know, you better know better know where he is and, and make sure you're disciplined in your rushing. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that that's going to be discipline eyes is, is key. Uh, you know, looking at last week, Coach, um, perimeter blocking and, and tackling looked a lot better than it did when we uh, talked before the bye. Um, what, what do you attribute that to? I mean, is that just kind of focus, or do you think there was some type of emphasis to create some type of tackle environment where they could at least simulate it in practice? I'm sure they, they made a point of emphasis and, and simulated the practice and talked about it and you know, kind of beat it through everybody's head that we've got to tackle better. The thing I was impressed with last week's game, and then you guys you know, know this a lot better than I do, but just the offensive line, I thought, was knocking people back mm. off the ball. I mean, it wasn't that chest-pumping thing. It was like some taking off and some movement, uh, and that's the thing that impressed me. Uh, if I could go take away one thing from last week's game, Absolutely. You know, in the offensive line, it's a work in progress. Ben talked about it, and it has been showing up more and more. And now we've got Najee Harris is uh, the uh, rookie of the month. You know, uh, he's he's obviously been increasing his production week by week, and you got to love that. But as a coach, looking at your, your defense, do you think that they – you know, you pick up Khalil Davis, who is the twin brother of Carlos Davis, and you've made some other moves with – Mel Ingram being shipped off and so forth. Obviously, they've got some confidence in Taco Charlton, but do you think these backup guys can can give enough rest reps to uh, TJ, you know, to Alex Highsmith, uh, to Cam Hayward, and, and all those that, those guys? Can you get enough out of those backup guys? I think you can, but the one thing that I, just being around the Steelers, you, you guys have been there too, you know, TJ and Cam, and even Alex, those guys have motors. I mean, they, right? They, I mean, do you ever see them pop out very, not very often? You know, those guys are, are just they're football players. I mean, they are uh, Cam and TJ are football players, okay? And they they want to be in there at all times. I don't. I mean, they're just um, they're different type of guys. And so I don't. Although you do need the guys there to give them a blow every now and then and pick your spots, uh, and I do think they'll have enough there to do that. 
Yeah, no, it, it's uh, you know, it's a comfort knowing that you got you got your main guys in, the guys you can count on, and I think that's the biggest thing because I think when you look at those auxiliary players, it's in relief of, not in place of. You know, we kind of talked about that with Mel Ingram. Yeah, and and Mel Ingram kind of wanting to be in place of versus realizing you're there to spell, not to replace. Um, You know, but when you look at, you know, obviously where we stand, you know, as this squad, do you feel good about the depth that we have as is? Um, Or do you think there was somewhere where we might have missed or or didn't get a guy before the trade deadline? You know that's a great thing. It's it's. It, I'm sure there's the answer to that question. They, they like where they are. Of course, they'd always like more. You know, if they could have got some more, they would have gotten it. If they could have, you know, but but they're happy where they are. Um, I don't think that they're, um, you know, in any way, shape, or form, going to be like, well, we really blew this. We did. They're happy where they are, but uh, we'll see. Uh, they they like this group. Uh, they like this defense, and I, I think it's one that's starting to really uh, go fire on cylinders. And I think as a team getting ready to play football in December, you know, they're running the ball, um, playing great defense. So it's a good stealer look. As a defensive coach, as a defensive coordinator that you've been, and as a head coach too, um, when you look at a defense that now last year, they, I think you guys had like 18 interceptions and you've got uh, roughly two at this point. Does it bother you that there's such right now, there's a great disparity between last year. And again, we're not even halfway through there actually, but does it bother you at all, or is that something you know that uh, sacks and interceptions, they come in bunches? Right there, you said it. Uh, in all my days, that's what happens. They come in bunches, and all of a sudden, you don't have them, you don't have them, bam. Then they start coming, here's two. Next game, here's two. And, and they start to add up. And then, you know, people are being a little bit more cautious with the football, with the Steelers. They know that's a that's a good secondary back there. It's a good defense. So they're, you know, they're being a little bit more conservative. But it, in all my days of being a coordinator and, you know, you don't get them, you don't get them, then all of a sudden they, they just start happening. All right, Coach. I want to thank you so very much for checking in the locker room as usual. You come in. What's with the smackdowns all the time on me, huh? You got to smack Max a little bit, you know? He's got to make him feel comfortable. Listen. Yeah, I, I don't know Max I, well I enough to do smack him, but you, you know, like just talking to Matt Millen, he brought, you know, and, and he knew I knew you, and he said to say hello, and I told him. I asked him if you were a, a clutcher or a holder. I <laughs> Tell you what his answer was. I, I can tell you this about Matt, because the last time I saw Matt, one of the beautiful things he was telling me about his son, who was, um, you know, he's on the special forces and he was overseas. And Matt went over to visit, you know, the troops over there, and he saw his son. And he told me, he said, I was so excited. He said, I got tears in my eyes. I'm wrapping my arms around my son. I'm holding him, holding him. And he said, my son's going, okay, Dad, Dad, that's enough. Okay, you're good. We're all good. <laughs> So I know that he was holding his son. So there you go. Well, he's a clutcher. He's a clutcher. He's quite quite proud of his son, and we gave it to him last night because his wife, Patty, Patty, who was on the national, she won a national champion. She she always teases Matt, hey, you never won a national champion. (laughs) (laughs) It's tough being number two in your own household. All right. Thanks a lot, Coach. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, guys, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, we've got Jerry Dulac checking in from the Post-Gazette. And we'll be right back with more right here on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio.
This is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Welcome back, everybody. It's here in the locker room with Wolf Starks and the Ninjas, ESPN Pittsburgh, Steelers Nation Radio. And we have the great Jerry Dulac, Cool Breeze, coming in the locker room, which is always a fun time because he's usually got something cooking. So what do you got going on there, Jerry? Well, Wolf and Max, it's always a treat to be with you. I will tell you that it is warmer outside than it is in the media <laughs> meat locker room that we are working <laughs> As you guys know, maybe you don't know, we are our temporary, well, I say temporary, I think we're there all year because of COVID, is the old racquetball court where uh, Bill Cower and Kevin Colbert would play every Friday afternoon. That's where we work right now. No windows and apparently no heat. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, wow. Boy, they got you They got you in those in, 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 uh, in what I call the, uh, the Soviet conditions. Right there. <laughs> yes, yes. Solid, solitary confinement, basically. So it's a thrill to come out and interview Matt Canada. Yeah, I would imagine <laughs> anything to get you out of that room. I mean, that's gulag style, isn't it? <laughs> that's right. That's right. But, you know, who am I to complain? I, the thrill is when the train comes by and shakes the court. <laughs> <laughs> not, not to be critical you know i gotta tell you one time we we're out in san francisco and I, tunch and i were doing a thing and for steelers tv and we went to alcatraz and we went into yeah, yeah. the um the you know the, where they lock you down all by yourself you know and uh yeah, the jails right. and you could put touch one hand to one wall and touch the other wall that's how narrow the cell was oh, solitary man. confinement oh that was awful, but at least it's – well, they could have played handball or, or racquetball if they could have had one. <laughs> right. But the, the good news about that, Wolf, is at least they let you out. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. All right, so – They keep you overnight. Yeah, oh, yeah. All right, so what do you – what did you talk to with Matt Canada? And, and did you have any – did he talk at all? Yeah, yeah you know, uh, quote, quote, we're getting better. You know, the penalties, they're on me. Um, Najee's getting better. Uh, guys are understanding a little more. And, um, you know, we'll get them on Sunday. Let's go play. That was basically <laughs> the gist of it. But Butts, Butts was a little more, more, little more expansive and, and certainly um, more, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, with his histrionics, it's a little more uh, amusing at times. You know? Right. But, uh, no, I think, I think a couple things. Um, you know, the one thing that Matt Canada uh, said, to among the things he said, but he said, you know, he said we have to score more points. And it's true. Look, only four teams have scored fewer points than the Steelers and only three teams have scored fewer touchdowns. Um, you know, and they can't continue, um, you know, simplistically saying that to rely on their defense all the time. I will say I think their defense is getting better. You know, they've cut down on the yards per game. We saw uh, passing. We saw what they did against the run in Cleveland, which was very impressive. Um, they still don't take the ball away. They, they came up with a big takeaway, as they did in Seattle at the right time, uh, you know, um, with T.J. Watt. He was involved both times, stripping it in Seattle and recovering it in Cleveland. Um, but they don't take the ball away like they've been accustomed uh, the past two games. So, and, and the other thing, too, and I mentioned this to Matt, uh, is that, you know, you go back to the Buffalo, Buffalo game. We've seen pockets where the offense shows what you think they could be. And he agreed and, and said as much. Um, you go back to the Buffalo game in the second half. They scored on four straight possessions. 
go back to the Cleveland game. You know, it wasn't very pretty, but there were those back-to-back drives where they did everything right. Mm. And uh, Ben was 11 of 14, 135 yards on those two uh, touchdown drives. You know, there, there was the, uh, it was the uh, one that, you know, obviously put him ahead with the pass to Fryermuth in the back of the end zone. Right. So, you see these you see these little windows at times where the offense looks very good, and then other times, you know, maybe maybe not so good. But I think, on the whole, we're seeing them perform better. Uh, I think you can tell they look more confident. You guys see this better than I do because you pay attention to it. But even I can see it. The offensive line, the double team blocks, you know, the energy uh, they seem to be showing. You know, they're playing. Uh, you know, more, uh, you know, aggressively, which is uh, the way Adrian Clem was what he talked about during training camp. He wanted those guys to have a, you know, to have a demeanor and set a tone. And, you know, we saw that, excuse me, we saw that on Sunday. So there are, um, you know, he pointed up, there are a lot of positive steps being taken by the offense. No, absolutely. And I think that's one of the key things is that we're seeing that progression. I think, you know, Wolf and I have kind of hit in the first hour just kind of talking about Najee and just his progression as a running back and not as more a utility offensive weapon, um, you know, and that, that comes with that confidence with the offensive line. Um, obviously, Matt did not glean, I'm sure, too much as, as you just gave us that brief 10-second synopsis of everything he said. Um, which is pretty much about right. Um, you know, just, you know, when we look at how they've progressed over the last three weeks, over the last three victories, I mean, what have you seen has been some of the themes? I mean, you know, outside of Najee touching the ball 20 times as a running back it proper, um, you know, what else, do, you know, did he give any instances to, hey, there's buy-in, you know, chemistry is there, uh, everybody feels good in the system, anything like that that he would have said, they would have also hinted at, you know, that, that they are starting to gel, I guess, as well, two, an offensive yeah, mind. Yeah, two things, uh, two things, Max. So one to that point is, you know, he talked about, um, you know, the line, uh, you know, basically being intact this entire time. And now seven games uh, into the season, uh, you're starting to see that cohesion uh, come about. And, um and, you know, they've talked about that since the beginning with, with four new starters uh, on that line. Um, and, and so, yeah, I don't think there's any question about it. I would say the one thing that has stood out that I have noticed about the offense, not necessarily Najee running the ball, but the, but the offense's commitment to continuing to run the ball. Um, you know, in Cleveland, uh, what we saw, even in Seattle, what we saw in the first half, um, I think uh, I think they would have gotten away from the run, especially in Seattle, against Seattle, quicker than what they did. But they stuck to it, and that's the third game in a row they've had 30 or more rushing attempts, and that's not something. Actually, I went back and looked. It's not something that's happened a lot of times in Mike Tomlin's tenure, even when they were a rush-oriented team for the most part. Hmm. And I think that's not, I think it is. It's only the sixth time that has happened. Now, the one thing I will caution is they did it last year, three consecutive times, and they did it um, the year before three consecutive times, three consecutive games where they had 30 or more attempts. And yet they were the worst rushing team in the league, uh, either at or near the bottom each of those past two years. My point is, is we have seen 
uh, little pockets of games where they have uh, attempted to run the ball, but then as the season went on, they got away from it. And let's hope that doesn't happen, I guess is my point. Uh, okay, it's nice that they've done it. It's not the first time. It's, they don't do it that often. But they've done it recently. But let's continue it, keep it up, and see if they can't, uh, you know, carry it through the season. Absolutely. Uh, you know, th- that was well put, Jerry. Now, the I want to flip it over, though. I, I'm kind of interested, and you got your ear to the ground all the time. Have we heard everything that was really about the Melvin Ingram trade? I mean, do we fully understand what really kind of transpired there? And, and does it have to do with just maybe Melvin thinking that uh, he it was going to have more of an opportunity to start, be a starter, whatever? And that's the problem, you know, that was the sole reasoning behind the trade? Well, I can tell you this, Wolf. Um, I, uh, you know, it was told to me that Melvin Ingram. Uh, yeah, he didn't like the declining number of snaps. And let's face it, in week three, he played every snap. Right. But that's because T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith didn't play. Right. So he played a lot. And he played a lot in his first two games as part of a rotation, more so in week two, because that's when uh, T.J. Watt got hurt with his groin, and that's when Alex Highsmith was injured. So um, I think that kind of whetted his appetite and, and led him to believe that he was going to, to play more than he has the last three games and only 17 snaps the last game. But what I was told, though, too, is that he, he, he was upset because he felt his role was misrepresented to him mm. when, he, when he signed here. And, you know, fellas, I, I think free agency becomes a little bit like college recruiting. True. You know, coaches will say a lot of things to these high school athletes to get them to commit. You know, we want to do, we want you to use you like this. We want you to do this. Do we want you to do that? And the guys start to believe it. Then they get to college and they get disillusioned. And now with the transfer portal, man, they they enter that like they're entering McDonald's. You know, it's very easy for them to do so. So um, I, I think that was what was at the root of it all. That what he was told and what he thought his role was going to be. Uh, turned out to be at least what he's saying that that's not the case. And, you know, and Keith Butler was asked about it today. One, he said, he thinks that, that, uh, you know, Taco and, and Terza can, can, you know, feel the role. I disagree. I think it's a significant drop off. Um, but he said, he said, sometimes we all think we're better than what we are. Hmm. And, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know how that's much, telling. I mean, that was pro- yeah, that's right. That's a little of a damning statement. But also, too, the other thing is when they brought him in, they knew his knees were bad. They signed him to a one-year deal because they were just hoping to get him through the season because of his knees. Um, you know, was was that a factor now? No. But um, I, I think they just tried to, you know, here was a veteran player that they liked who asked to be traded, and they thought, okay, we're going to acquiesce to his wishes. We're going to accommodate him. And they let him go. But that, you know, you, you have to go back to the very beginning to find out what, you know, the root of what transpired uh, here. And it's only seven games. It's not like they were 11 games into the year and he could see this happen. There's only seven games in. They weren't mm. even at a halfway point and he wanted out. Mm. Well, and, and I think the other thing, Jerry, is, is that, like you said, you know, when, when, you, when, you, get a, when you get a taste of, of that starting life, um, it, it's it's tough to regress as, as a guy right, who also right. ha, ha, had to deal with that, and 
age is not on the side. And, you know, I said the biggest thing, as I said, there's there's that there's that one limiting factor on why you can't beat out Alex Highsmith. And it starts with why. It's youth. And that's the one thing that Mel right. Ingram doesn't right. have, right? You know, the clock is ticking on him. So he's trying to get to a place where, hey, maybe I can get more than a one-year deal. Maybe I can take one more bite of the pie um, before – you know, this NFL carousel comes to a stop. And I think that was kind of how he was feeling seeing those drops. But uh, at the same time, uh, I mean, you, oh, go ahead. Go, ahead, Jerry. No, no, I, I agree with you 100%. And I was just going to say, you know, the counter to that, let's give the guy credit, Eric Ebron. You know, this is a guy who's been known to shoot his mouth and his playing time has reduced. His snaps are greatly reduced because of uh, Pat Frymuth. His targets greatly reduced. His catches greatly reduced. He's a free agent. You know, this is a guy who would probably would like some numbers for free agency to get a bigger contract, and yet he has kept his mouth shut and said he's trying to be professional. No, I'm not knocking Melvin Ingram as much as they, I'm going to give a little applaud here to Eric Ebron for handling it the way he has. That's a great point, Jerry. Absolutely. You know, that's it's very interesting to see how Eric Ebron has handled this whole thing because uh, Friar Mo- and it's you know what it's just him talking about how he's you know he got a, a good friendship with Friar Muth too and taking on a mentoring yeah, role. Uh-huh. I thought that was right, pretty significant, right. pretty cool. All right, Jerry, thank yeah. you so very much, brother. We appreciate you coming in the locker room as always. Yes, Thanks, sir. Jerry. And as always, I appreciate. I mean, I look forward to seeing you boys at the ball yard Monday night. Absolutely. Thank you so there much. The go. great yes, Jerry sir. Dulac from the Post Gazette and Steelers uh, game day broadcast and all things Steeler related. We'll be back after this. is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Welcome back to the locker room, guys. Appreciate everybody checking in with us. And, of course, one of the great things happening this year was, uh, or, I mean, this week, was the fact that they had the curse of Oak Island. All right? We, oh, you yeah. got to see some of it, Max, so you know what I'm talking about, right? You got treasure oh, yeah. out there. Oh, I think there's treasure there. There's got to be treasure. Templars, who knows? You know, people have been going there for almost 300 years and maybe planting some stuff down there. Well, I mean, it, even longer than that, like some of the stuff that we saw dated, right? The barrels that they found yeah. um, as they were doing the excavations, I mean, date back to the 15th century because they were pre-iron ring barrels. I mean, you've got the the watch piece, obviously, the piece of the watch. Oh, yeah. Found. How about that? Uh but, I mean, that Roman road, you know, you talk about the Portuguese there, the, the twisted iron rod. I mean, there's so many different pieces, even from an archaeological aspect, outside of the treasure aspect of it. it it's just interesting to see the history of a place that everybody kind of written off, right? You know, right. it's like, ah. It's just an know, island. There's this, there's this legend, uh, but we haven't found anything. We've been digging there for 100 years. And now the cultural society is paying attention. Other, <laughs> other, other protective preservation societies are pay, are t- paying special interest to it, and they they've made people care about this island, which is a great thing. Um, but I I, I do want to see some treasure. I need to see yeah, more. Of well, the yeah, in the water. You know, the thing that is <laughs> now they're testing the water, and they've actually come yeah. up with uh, they've got residue of say silver, 
Um, and they say it would take a lot of silver being down there in the water to, you know, put up as much of the, uh, the percentage that they found in the water. And where there's silver, there's generally gold. And now they found a way to test for gold in the water. They believe that there's some gold down there. I don't know, man. But you've had uh, – I, I do know this. They've had six authenticated deaths on that island attributed, yeah. attributed to people trying to, you know, search for the treasure. And they say the legend is that seven – must die before the treasure is found. I, uh, you know, I think that's a lot of uh, bunk as far as the seventh. But you, you know, you don't want to yeah. be that seventh guy. That's for sure. No, no, you definitely don't want to be the seventh. Like, <laughs> wait a second, I got this close, and now you're telling me I have to be the sacrificial lamb, <laughs> no, and everybody else gets no. the profit. No, <laughs> I refuse. No, exactly. Uh, so, but but it, it is one of those things. It's just it's a cool thing to see a live treasure hunt. I mean, I would love to go on that one day, like go on a treasure hunt. You know, just like I love history and archaeology. Right. And to see that something's going to be discovered, you know, live or in our lifetime, you know, that's that's pretty cool to see. Something that was previously put there centuries ago gets uncovered. You know, it'd be like if you first found a pyramid and you got in there and you got to see the room where, you know, the pharaohs left their gold, right? And all these ornate objects and seeing it for the first time. That, that's a cool experience. You know, I, I'm not, I, I hate grave robbers and individuals like that, but right. it would be cool to see something newly discovered. I mean, that's why I watch Expedition Unknown. Oh, yeah. Um, that's a good know, one. Zahi Hawass, when they, when they found one of the, um, one of the lesser pharaohs and they did it live on the, like that, that, that excites me. That's a cool thing to see our history and see something that was left around for us to finally discover, to learn about culture, learn about where we came from, and, you know, kind of apply it to where we've been. It gives us that living timeline of our true history. Uh, which is mostly, I agree with you, except for when they went live with, um, remember Geraldo Rivera went live with uh, Al Capone's uh, garage or something like that? That, yeah, that kind of blew yeah. up. That, that didn't go well. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that that's one where nah, it's a little bit too hey, too soon, too soon. <laughs> too soon. <laughs> Give me a couple centuries ago. I, I don't want to see something in my lifetime uh, or, or in my parents' lifetime. You know, exactly. I, I don't want to see that part of it. Give me, give me some older cool stuff. I want to see when technology was crude and people were still able to create massively awesome things. Um, you know, pyramids. This the chapel vault, right? Oh to yeah. Be able to create this system underground with living water as like the safety mechanism like those are cool things that you know we don't think about we have so much technology now just think about what they had to work with and the fact that you had this idea and it's worked you know because they don't get to see the fruits of that labor right right it's us that get to appreciate what they did so that that, that's one of the cool aspects of, of of history no question about it my friend well Here's something that also, and I'll try to make this a segue, but <laughs> um, okay. Odell Beckham Jr. was excused from practice for a second straight day, and sources say he's likely he's played his last ball for the Browns, um, so he could be history for the Browns. Sorry, I just had to you know go there. That was yeah, that was such hey, low hanging fruit. Enough. Yeah, close. Yeah, li- so listen, bad. Som- so- sometimes you got to take advantage of it. You know, <laughs> low hanging fruit sometimes makes a great jam. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point by you. What yeah. do you think about that though? I mean, the possibility. Wow, that you know he's he's not going to do. I don't. How how do you do that? How do you just yeah. like? If <laughs> wow, I guess. 
that's why you have the trade deadline. That's why, you know, you trade guys. I mean, he's obviously yeah. unhappy. And what a great talent he was. And it, it was very significant, as I think Ed from Cleveland had, had called in the other day and said, you know, one target. Just one target for, for Odell Beckham Jr.? He, really? Six yards, and that's it. And, and then then his dad releasing the video footage uh, of how how often he was open and not targeted um, in the offense. Like one time he was so wide open, he put his hands up and standing there, and Baker's still looking to the other side of the field and not even looking his direction. Wow. I thought, you know, that was pretty damning to see that um, in, a, in a visual aspect, and it came from Odell's dad. So, I mean, I think this is one of the tough things, you know, that you argue is like, okay, when you're unhappy, um, you know, you're like, oh, okay, we can, we can, we can pawn it off as, as people are just, you know, being crybabies, right? They're not being – but then to see the visual evidence, that's what hurts it even more because it's like, no, there's a clear divide here because a year ago you guys were, all, were, were in sync. Right. What happened this year – and he's just as open as he was before when you would throw it to him. And, heck, he was actually less open a lot more times than not, and he made you right. And what has happened in that time frame, um, you know, it, it's, it's pretty tough. But once again, like Ed said, I'm glad that they're having this problem and that we're not having this problem. That's a great you know? point. That's, <laughs> that's a, great a great point. point. No question yeah, about yeah. it. I think, you know, that's – and that, to me, he was such a big game-breaker, and – Jarvis Landry, that was an issue with, you know, him dropping the ball like crazy. Uh, he had, what, two or three oh. drops there Sunday? No, he, yeah, had, Sunday? he had five. He had ten targets and five catches. So, But, I mean, well, drops. I mean, you, you, yeah, you actual say, drops. Okay, dro- drop drops, he had he had three. Yeah, two and then he got really stripped. significant. Yes. He got stripped, and then two of them, great uh, PBUs, right? You know, right. they actually were broken up from tight coverage. So, yeah, you're correct. Yeah, dro- drop drops. But um, but yeah, I mean, he got targeted ten times, and I mean, like I said, the next the next share was the tight ends getting eleven targets as, as a group of three. Right. Um, and then Odell, you had to search to the bottom of the list. One catch for six yards. That was it. Um, everything else was you'd say decoy routes. Absolutely. I mean, I I, I guess the significance of it didn't really kind of hit me until. You know, just reading this report, and then it just occurred when Ed was talking about it. You know, it was sometimes, you know, you'll get a receiver overlooked if you're trying to t- double up, take a guy out, and stuff like that. But when you come in, and your dad says, oh, no, they weren't doubling him. They weren't even covering him. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, he's exactly. out there by himself. Throw him the ball, right? And, I, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. I would I think I would have told dad, to, my dad, you know, okay, zip it. Don't, don't get involved in this, you know, that sort of thing. But. You can understand a father's frustration. Yeah, well, I mean, and also, let's, let's face it, you know, our, our dads had to deal with <laughs> offensive linemen as kids. So yeah, like. <laughs> it, was like, it was like, give him the chip. Give him a chip. He's single blocking out there. What are you doing? You know, it would have been a little different, you know, whereas, you know, his job relies on you having to throw him the ball. Ours, if we touch the ball, a bad thing has happened. Uh, <laughs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Did you ever recover a fumble in your career? Oh, gosh, yeah. I recovered a couple. In fact, here, here's the funniest story since since we're at the end of the show. Right. Um, in the playoffs in, in Indy, okay. remember Jerome, Jerome fumbled twice yes. on the goal line. Oh, wait a minute, twice. Yeah. So the first time was the one when Nick Harper picked it up. Right, and went the other way. Then fell down and tackled him. Um but before that, Jerome fumbled in the opposite end zone, 
and I recovered it in the end zone. No way. And here's how bad I was, because this is my first year starting, right? I still don't know all the NFL rules. <laughs> I jump on it. I think we scored a touchdown. I think I just scored a touchdown in the playoffs. Oh. And I get up excited. The referee's blowing the whistle, dead ball. I'm like, what? I'm in the end zone with the ball. No, like, you can't advance a fumble into the end zone if it gets fumbled, you know, inside the one-yard line. Right. You can't advance it. But if you recover it, you get the ball at the spot. So that's when I learned that rule. <laughs> I, I definitely did not know that. You rule. could have been I, such I was, a big shooter. It would have been oh you. My gosh. Oh my gosh! I would have been done. I would have been done. Hey, checklist, check it off the bucket list right there. Max Stark scores a touchdown. Walk in off, the playoffs. <laughs> exactly. I'm good. Give me my roses. Give me my roses now. <laughs> that's right. Set, let, let all the accolades fall upon me. Thank you. Yes, I'm yes, absolutely I am spectacular. I am the greatest. Yes. <laughs> Mwah. Kiss me. Mwah. I love me. I love me, guys. Uh, I love me. That's tremendous. <laughs> yeah. How heart sick were you when you found out that you, that it wasn't oh. you? It wasn't oh, a touchdown. You went from hero to goat, and not the good goat at that moment. And you're just like, okay, let me get back in the huddle. <laughs> Let me compose. It's, it's like when you think you have the winning lottery number, you celebrate after the fourth number instead of waiting through it for all six to come through. You're like, oh, I won the lottery. I got four. Of the uh, I got $100. I only got four. That's all six. I got. I didn't, even, I didn't even hit the Powerball. Okay, let me go collect my $100. Okay. Stand back in life. Got to go to work tomorrow, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got to go to work tomorrow. That's, that's the essence. Yeah, yeah. All yeah. right. Max, great job today. Appreciate you so much, bro. Have a good one. I know in the Valley of the Sun you'll be enjoying yourself. Yeah, yep, yep. Hey, the work is never done, but I'm glad it has sunshine in it. Amen to that, brother. Okay, we'll see you tomorrow morning. And, folks, thank you for joining us out there. I appreciate you coming in. And since, uh, you know, and as my dad used to tell me all the time, hey, muttonhead, pass the ketchup. We'll be back tomorrow.